Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or what you or what or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment of his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. It's that if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. <clears throat> Starting them young with the scripture reading. I like it. <clears throat> if you haven't already, I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew, actually, in the Sermon on the Mount. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the love of God today. We're going to talk about the love of God, and here's the gist. So if you get this gist of the sermon, you can just stand up and leave, and I won't be offended. Just kidding. I might be a little offended. Uh, here's the gist. If you have not personally experienced the love of God in your life, then you are, according to the Scriptures, afflicted, living in lies and deceit and can never experience the true freedom from the cares of this world. If you have not experienced personally the love of God in your life through Jesus Christ our Lord, then you are afflicted, living in lies and deceit and can never experience freedom from the cares of this world. Now, notice what I did not say. I didn't say if you haven't understood the love of God, right, intellectually. I'd be willing to bet that a lot of us, if not most of us or all of us, understand conceptually the love of God. The love of God, that God in his love for us, he came down and made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace we have been saved. Through Jesus Christ, we have life and life abundant. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' death on the cross, we have life. That's understanding it conceptually, intellectually. It's easy to do that. I'm talking about something beyond that, a personal experience of the love of God, a loosening of the chains of our heart, a breaking down of the inner man and the inner woman until you have nothing left except to release all control to look to Jesus and live. 
That's what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying this as an accusation, but as an invitation. Because if you look at your life, look at your life, what's it filled with? Is it filled with weight? With worry? With anxiety? With a lack of joy? With a lack of peace? If that's your life, then hear me. God wants so much more for you than that. He wants so much more for you than that. This is an invitation into life and life abundant. He has given you more than that. So the question today is, is have you experienced that joy? Have you experienced personally the inexpressible love of God that Paul says you can know it, but it actually surpasses knowledge, so you can't really know it? Not just believed it in your mind, experienced it, been overwhelmed by it, been unable to think of anything else because of it. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the love of God and how it's just absolutely overwhelming. And it overwhelms all our senses until we have nothing. We don't care about anything else. The things of this world grow strangely dim. So I want to continue this posture of prayer, of, of worship in prayer. So if you would, please pray with me. Father, you are holy. You are holy. You are holy. You are high and lifted up. Your ways are above our ways. Your thoughts are above our thoughts. And so, God, right now we lay everything down at your feet. God, we lay our accomplishments down. We lay our, our status down. God, we lay our anxieties down, our worries, our cares, our concerns. Take them off of our shoulders. We lay them down at your feet. You are our sustainer. You are our rock. You are our provider. We have nothing apart from you. We are nothing apart from you. So Father, today I ask that you would, as we just sang, you would open our eyes. Open our ears, open our hearts that we may see, we may hear, we may believe, we may comprehend the love of God, your love, God, that surpasses knowledge and we may be filled with the fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ. God, I ask that you would put aside all the things that so easily entangle, and you would give us a focus that we might seek your face continually, and we might see you. God, make us pure in heart so that we might see you, we pray. We pray all these things in your Son's name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Before we uh, dive in, I just want to take a moment and do a quick summary of the Sermon on the Mount. We're near the end of it, which is kind of crazy. We're at the end of chapter 6. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a while now. We've been in Matthew since January, which is like, what, literally six months, which is crazy how time flies. But um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew is designed in five movements. We've been talking about that. Each movement ends with the significant teaching of Jesus. So we're right now, we're in movement one, and the significant teaching of Jesus that it ends with is the Sermon on the Mount. And if you look, actually, if you just want to follow along, if you look at chapter 5, I'm just going to like go through all like the headings to kind of catch us up to speed here. If you look at chapter 5, Jesus starts the entire Sermon on the Mount with what we call the Beatitudes. He starts the Sermon on the Mount by all these happy statements, these blessed statements, these content, flourishing, full of life statements. And it is the exact opposite of what you and I would define true flourishing as. The people who are really well off are those who have nothing to give. 
who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek and humble, who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers, and who are persecuted because of righteousness. He then goes on, as if that wasn't confusing enough, Jesus just keeps going, and he said, you're salt and you're light. Now, we are kind of familiar with that, but that's just about as weird as it would have been. It, like, imagine somebody saying, you are salt, with having no context of, like, the Bible at all. You're salt and you're life. You're a preservative and you're a cleanser and you are the light of the world. Notice, interestingly, this is a little sidebar, in, Go- in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That's one of his seven I am statements. Here, Jesus says, you guys are the light of the world. Meaning, when we are in Christ, we are, hi- we are him. We are in him and he is in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he goes on after that and Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I actually came to fulfill it. And he gives all these six examples of what a greater righteousness looks like. You see, Jesus does not want us to just follow the rules. He doesn't want us to have an exterior righteousness. He wants to have a greater righteousness in his people. That surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees. So he gives all these examples. You know, it says don't murder. That's a good thing. Don't do that. But also, like, beyond that, don't be angry. Don't nurse a grudge in your heart. Don't commit adultery. That's a good thing. Don't do that. But beyond that, don't lust after people in your eyes, in your heart, in your mind. He says, you know, don't, uh, don't like uh, swear an oath. That's a good thing. Don't do that. But also just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be simple and be pure and be honest and be true in the way that you talk to one another. He says, you know, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but rather, I don't want you to retaliate at all. When somebody wrongs you, you don't retaliate. You've heard that it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, and Jesus flips this one on its head, and he says, I tell you, love your enemies, plural. How? Pray for those who persecute you. That person you can't stand, that person that can't stand you, that always talks about you, talks bad about you, and you know they do, love them. Pray for them. That's the kingdom, that's the economy of the kingdom of heaven. And then in chapter six, we've been looking at what it means to practice our righteousness. Jesus says, don't be like a hypocrite. Right? A hypocrite is somebody who does the right action with the wrong motive. That's what Pharisees do. They have the right action. They're given to the poor. They're praying. They're fasting. Those are good things. Do those things. Jesus says, but don't do it so that you can be seen by others. Don't just come to church because. Don't, don't play the game. I want your heart in it. And he says, yes, continue to give to the poor, but do it so freely and frequently that you don't even know that you're doing it. Your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing Yes, pray, but, but go to the secret place. Close the door, because why? Your heavenly father, he's in, he's in secret. He's there. He's waiting for you. He's longing for you. Don't babble on like the Gentiles do. Just pray the Lord's Prayer. Make it your own. When you fast, fast, continue to fast, but don't do it like all these hypocrites where they, they fast and they like show people that they're fasting because they want a pat on the back. That's gonna be it. That's all they'll get. They'll just get a little pat on the back and then you, they'll go from there. You, when you fast, when you fast, fast in secret. Devote your life, to give your life, give your body to the Lord in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then last week, Tom did an excellent job summarizing the treasure. Where is your treasure? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Notice it doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. He says where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. You can pick your treasure. Your heart will be there. Which leads us to verse 24. I'm actually gonna reread this because Tom mentioned this in passing uh, in the end of verse 24, but I just wanna double, uh, double down, double click, 
Just say it again, I don't know. Double down. Uh, look at uh, chap- Matthew chapter six, verse 24. It says this, no one can, Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. May or may not be an argument against multitasking, by the way. I don't think people can actually multitask, and this is my biblical proof to prove that, but that's neither here nor there. No one can serve two masters, since he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then look at this last sentence. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I want to, Tom mentioned this, like I said last week, but I want to double click on it, because money does not mean cash, right? When I read this, I was in, when I was in seminary, I was going through this study of this, and I was broke, like just straight broke, broke, and I was like, oh cool, I don't serve money, because I don't have any money. That's not, it doesn't mean cash here. The Greek word is mammon, M-A-M-M-O-N, mammon, and what it means, it just means stuff. It just means your riches, your stuff, your possessions, your treasures. What Jesus is saying here is you cannot serve God and all your mammon, all your money, all your stuff, all your possessions. You can't do it. Then he says this, verse 25. This leads us into our text today. Therefore, I tell you. Now, if you're new to AGC, we love to ask this question. Whenever we see the word therefore in the Bible, we always ask, class, what is therefore? Therefore. Nice. Oh, good. You guys are getting it. Um, Therefore, what is therefore, therefore? So Jesus says this. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Now, let's think about this. He just said what? You can't serve God and your stuff. Then he says, therefore, don't worry. Why? How does Jesus make that connection? What is the connection there? Because in my logic, and maybe you, yeah, in my logic, it's like you can't serve God and your stuff, so therefore don't serve your stuff, but serve God. That's where I would go, right? You can't serve God and your stuff, so therefore don't serve. But he says, you can't serve God and your stuff, so therefore don't worry. How does he make the connection? What's the connection? Here's the connection. If you reverse it, if you're worrying about your life, it means you're not serving God. You're serving your stuff. Don't ser- you cannot serve God and money. Therefore, don't worry about anything. You can't, i.e., if you're worrying about your life, you are not serving God. You are serving your stuff. Now, look at what Jesus tells us not to worry about. Verse 25, don't worry about your life. I think that's pretty all-encompassing. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, don't worry about your body, what you're going to wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, there are needs and there are wants, right? There are needs, like kind of like down here, and there are wants that are kind of up here. We live in a world and a society that we worry about our wants, Because for the most part, we probably don't worry about where our next meal is going to come from or if we're going to have a roof over our heads tonight, for the most part. Um, Those are are needs. Your basic life needs is down here. We're up here worrying about all our wants, all the just-in-cases, all the, well, I want this. Oh, well, I need this. We, We say that we need things, but really we don't worry about our wants. Jesus is saying, yeah, obviously don't worry about your wants. Don't even worry about your needs. Your basic life needs. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. You need food to survive. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. You need water to survive. Don't worry about what you're going to wear or your shelter or your, your security. Don't worry about any of that. Isn't life more valuable than just food and drink and shelter? Yes. So this seems, if we're honest with ourselves, this seems kind of foolish. 
like Jesus saying, hey, don't worry about anything, it kind of seems idealistic, right? At least that's just, sometimes I think that. I'm like, well, but I have to like, you know, I have to work, I have to do things, I have to, how, how do I reconcile that? Because we live in a world that says you have to do everything to provide for yourself, everything to provide for yourself. You have to watch out for yourself. If you don't work hard, if you don't pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you're out, sorry. You have to watch out for yourself. You have to create your own destiny. You have to make sure everything is taken care of. You have to have everything in place just in case. And you have to provide for yourself and your family as if God isn't the one providing for our everyday needs. That's the world we live in. So when Jesus says, don't, don't worry about it, it seems foolish. It seems dumb. It's <laughs> the best way I can think about that. And it is if you're not living in the kingdom of heaven. If you're not living in the kingdom of heaven, this makes zero sense. Because here's what I've been realizing. Some of us trust Jesus for our future destiny, but we don't trust him for our present reality. We trust Jesus enough to forgive us our sins in some divine ethereal courtroom, but we don't trust him enough to actually reconcile relationships and change people now. Some of us trust Jesus enough to make sure our souls magically depart and go to some good place, but we don't trust Jesus enough to provide for what we need today. Some of us trust Jesus enough to make us happy and fulfilled and content and joyful one day, but that's in the future. We don't trust Jesus enough to give us life and life to the full right now, which is what he's promised us. And what happens when you don't trust Jesus enough to provide for our present reality? What happens? We step into the role of God in our lives. If I don't trust Jesus enough to provide for my present reality, I need to do it my own, on my own. So I'm stepping into the role of God in my life to provide for everything I need. And what is always, always, always the result of that? Worry. Period. When, you, when we step into the role of God in our lives to try to provide for ourselves, to, to try to control situations, scenarios, relationships, all the just-in-cases, it will always produce worry. It's like we weren't made to play God for our own lives. Jesus then gives two examples of what to be, right? Look at verse 26 with me. Consider the birds of the sky. Now, I brought a bird in today so that we can, just kidding. <laughs> all, all your head just went, what? <laughs> uh, but I do want to consider the birds of the sky. So let's just, little, Jesus says consider the birds of the sky. Let's consider the birds of the sky. Close your eyes. Think about birds. Flying, maybe making a nest, maybe, I don't know, diving into a body of water to get some fish or something, right? Okay, you can open your eyes. How are they doing? Right, pretty good. They're fine, right? Like maybe one will occasionally fly into a window and die or something, and that's really sad. But for the most part, birds are doing okay. Let's keep reading. Jesus says, consider the birds. We're considering the birds. I'm just following Jesus here, guys. Don't. Uh, they don't, this is what they don't do. These birds, they don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Who feeds the birds? Well, the birds, fl the birds fly. They fly on their own. They get the worm. They do the hard work. They, they bring it back to the nest. They feed their little um, baby birds. They, they, have to, they feed themselves. No. Who feeds the birds? Your heavenly Father. Are you worth more than a bird? I kind of think that somebody would laugh when Jesus was saying this the first time. Like, I hope the answer is obviously, yes, you're worth more than a bird. So if God, if God feeds the birds, he provides for them. 
They're not, they're not worried. They're not anxious. How much more is he going to provide for you and us? We are his children. He looks at us as a son, as a daughter. He loves us. Absolutely. If he provides for the birds, you better believe he's going to provide for you. He keeps going. Verse 27, can any of you uh, add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? The answer is obviously no. And the ironic thing is, is that you actually decrease your lifespan when you worry. You ever see those pictures of presidents before and after? Like, it's only like four years, but man, they age so much in those four years. Why? Because they're worrying. Now, I'm not preaching to them, so whatever. But the point is, is that can you add any time to your life by worrying? Absolutely not. And in fact, the opposite is true. When you worry, you decrease your joy, you decrease your life, you decrease everything in your life. Then he goes on. Second example, verse 28. Why do you worry about your clothes, your provisions, your shelter? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. Okay, Jesus says observe how the wildflowers. Let's close our eyes. Think about a wildflower in a field and it growing. So it's like a seed. It goes into the ground. It grows up. The petals stretch out towards the sun. It's doing fine. All right, you can open your eyes. I opened my eyes and none of you were, uh, actually had your eyes closed. Cool, thanks. Um, <laughs> so I have, the, I have the crazy one. Okay, whatever. Observe the wildflowers, uh, how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor and they don't spin thread. I love this verse, 29. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, the richest king in Israel's history, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like all of these. Now, what does it say? Like, one of these. Ah, flower. Ooh, one single flower is more beautiful than Solomon in all of his splendor. Solomon had kings and queens from the entire known world come to him because they were impressed with his splendor. And Jesus says, a single flower, wildflower, in a field that nobody's ever going to see, is more beautiful than Solomon. Verse 30, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which by the way is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O oh, you of little faith? Who clothes the wildflowers? God does. They're here for a day and they're thrown into a furnace to make a fire. You think that God seriously is gonna look out for them more than he looks out for you? You know this phrase, oh, you have little faith in the Greek, is actually, oh, you have no faith? Jesus is saying, if you're worried, if you're constantly like, oh, man, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to provide for myself, you have no faith. Look at a flower, guys. Look at a bird. They're fine. Do you think you're less valuable than them? You have no faith if you think that. So don't worry. Verse 31, saying, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? The, Gentile, the pagans, verse 32, they eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus spares no punches here. Now, earlier I said we're going to talk about the love of God. This sounds really convicting more than it sounds encouraging. But that's what love is. Now, if Jesus were to stop here, it would be like that, that Bob Newhart 
bit where he was a counselor and he just yelled at the lady, stop it, stop it. If you guys haven't seen that, he's like this counselor and this lady comes in and she's talking about all her problems and after every problem or situation or struggle, he goes, well, just stop it. The irony being like, that doesn't help anybody. Like just saying stop it doesn't do any good. If Jesus were to stop right here, it would just Jesus being like, stop worrying. Don't do that. Stop it. But he doesn't stop there. A good prophet, a good teacher, a good shepherd, they show you where you are going wrong and they lead you into where you should go right. They show you the way of death and destruction and chaos and they don't leave you there. They show you the way of life. So what is the way of life? Look at verse 33. But... So don't worry, period, stop it, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first. Notice there's a contrast with the Gentiles who eagerly seek all the things that they need. They eagerly seek what they're gonna eat, what they're gonna drink, what they're gonna wear. They're stressed out. They're spinning their wheels. Jesus says, seek first. First, something completely different. The kingdom of God. Look for it. Seek it. You ever play hide and go seek? You know how you don't win when you're it? Is if you just sat on your butt the entire time and just looked around. Oh, I can't find anybody. What do you do when you play hide and go seek? You open every door. You open every closet. You lift up every cushion. You don't leave any stone unturned because you are seeking it. And what is Jesus saying here? Seek. Don't glance for it. Seek it. Look for it. Why? Because the kingdom of God is hidden. Okay, I cannot stress this enough. The kingdom of God is hidden. People have eyes to see and they don't see. They have ears to hear and they don't hear. They have hearts that have gone astray. They acknowledge God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. If you do not seek for the kingdom of God, you will miss it, period. If you do not seek his righteousness, you're gonna miss it. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. Seek it. Seek it when you go to lunch this afternoon. Seek it when you talk to the next person. When you're talking to them, you're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek it when you go to sleep tonight. Seek it when you wake up tomorrow morning before work. Seek it in your pastime. Seek it whenever, when you're on the road. Seek it when you're at your house. Seek it all the time. Seek it when you're talking to people. All these things, it's hidden for you. You have to seek, look for, search for, long for, yearn for the kingdom of God. Because if you don't, you will miss it. And guys, I'm not, this is not some like radical Christianity. This is, the Sermon on the Mount is like the entry point for what life is like in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is defined by people who eagerly seek the kingdom of God in everything, in everything, in everything. Psalm 105, 4 says, seek his face continually. My favorite Beatitude is blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. They will see God. Pure in heart just means to will one thing, to desire one thing, to long for one thing, to seek one thing. Pure gold is all gold and there's no blemishes. A pure heart is, all, is a heart that is tuned to sing God's praises, to look for him in everything. And when that becomes you, because it's a process, when that becomes you, you'll see the kingdom of God everywhere. And you know what's gonna happen? the things of this earth are gonna grow strangely dim. Weirdly so. The logic of the Sermon on the Mount is if you seek God, you won't worry about anything else. How do we know that? Look at the last half of verse 33. And all these things, what things? Your needs, not your wants, your needs. Your basic 
life needs, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, everything will be provided for you. Everything will be provided for you. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus enough, not just for your future, rea- your future destiny, but do you trust Jesus enough that if you actually seek the kingdom of God, if you take Jesus seriously, everything else will take care of itself? Why are we so prone? I'm so prone to wander. I'm so prone to put on these blinders where I can't see the kingdom of heaven and I have to take care of everything myself and I have to provide for myself. And what does it cause? I'm stepping into the role of God in my own life and it causes worry. A few months ago, I was seeing a, a spiritual director and I, I kept doing this with my hands. One hand was wide open and one hand was closed. The most common um, posture of prayer in the Bible is open hands, palms up. And I want this for my life. And I was talking and I was like, I feel like sometimes in my life, I just, this is me, right? This is me. Just hanging on a little bit to something down here. But like, ha- ha- I'm like, yes, Lord, I, I want to give you this. I want to seek the kingdom of God first in his righteousness. I want to be open. I want to release. I want to let go. I want to be pure in heart so that I can see God. But there's still a little part of me that just, it's like slowly opening my hand. But it's still slowly closed. And it's slowly open. And it's slowly closed. Do you feel that? Do you feel that in your life sometimes? We, we want to have our hands open. Because only then can we receive the love of the Father. And we don't want to be two fists closed because we know that that's, that's not okay either. But there's this, there's this tension where sometimes we feel like I, I want this, but I'm just so caught up. I get so easily distracted. I forget to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm eagerly seeking all these other things like the Gentiles, like the pagans who don't know God. Jesus says that all of these things will be provided for you if what? You release when you seek, when you look for his presence in every interaction, when you long to be with him. Jesus says that all of the needs, not the wants, are gonna be provided for you, which means what? If you don't have it right now, guess what? You don't need it. If you don't have it, you don't need it. God will provide for you because He loves you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, verse 34, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Years ago, I heard the story of this three-year-old girl named Brittany. She's lived in the Detroit area, and um, Brittany's not her real name because there were some safety things, but Brittany's mom had a heroin addiction and left Brittany as a three-year-old in the apartment by herself to go um, and, and, and leave. And eventually Brittany was found and she was alive and a rescue effort was made. She was found, she was rescued, she was put into the foster care system. She went to a few different houses and then eventually this young Christian couple adopted her. They took her in, they started to care for this three-year-old girl, Brittany, and pretty soon, Brittany kind of was having, she's probably three or f- four or five at this point, but she was having, um, she was becoming startled because she was experiencing so many new things. Because with her mom and then with other foster parents, they kept coming and going. They kept leaving. And a few weeks in, Brittany went up to her new dad and said, do you guys get to sleep in the same spot every night? 
When she would wake up in the morning or wake up from a nap and she was alone, she would start screaming and crying because she was always afraid that she was gonna be left. She was always afraid that she was gonna be abandoned and she was always afraid that she was gonna be isolated. She couldn't stand to be left alone. And some of you actually here at AGC have experience as foster parents, either formally or informally, and what happens is you take in little children, often broken, afraid, lonely, confused, and they're placed into your care, and you welcome them, you love them, you feed them, you provide for them, you sacrifice for them, pray for them and with them, you buy them clothes, you accept them as one of, you, as one of your own, and then one day you hear that they're just worried that you're gonna leave, like everybody else. And you wonder, how can you convince this person, this little child, that you're not gonna leave them. You love them, you care for them. Imagine you are the parent of this three-year-old Brittany and she's constantly concerned that you're gonna be gone one day. How do you convince them that she doesn't have to worry? There's nothing she has to worry about. You're there for her, you're gonna provide for her. Her experience, Brittany's experience of loneliness and fear and rejection is so powerful that it sometimes takes years, it could take years to convince her that you are different, you're not going anywhere. Brittany is afflicted, she's living in lies and deceit, and she cannot experience true freedom that comes from the selfless and sacrificial love of a parent. Guys, before Jesus, you and I are Brittany. We're believing lies. We're living in affliction. We are unable to experience true freedom and trust. And even after we're adopted into the family of God, and God has said through Jesus Christ, I love you, I'm going to provide for you, even after that, we still believe those same lies sometimes, don't we? We still believe those same lies. I have to, I have to do it myself because God doesn't have my best interest in mind. I have to take care of myself because nobody else cares for me. And the way that you and I would look at Brittany, this three-year-old, and we would just long for her to understand that we care for her. We want her to know that we love her. We're not going anywhere. She has nothing to fear anymore. The way that you and I would look at Brittany is just a glimpse, just a microcosm of the way that God looks at you and looks at me. But it takes faith. It would take faith for Brittany to believe that these parents aren't going anywhere. It takes faith and trust and risk and vulnerability for her to say, I've been hurt so many times, but I guess I'll, I guess I'll try and open up and trust this time. Just like it takes faith for you and I. We've been hurt. We've been abandoned. We've been broken. We've been told lies, we've lived lies, we've embodied lies. And it's hard, it's hard. Faith is hard, guys. Trust is hard because it means what? It means we have to let go. We have to risk, we have to risk it all. But God is nothing like you and me. He is infinite, he's never changing and he will always, always love us. His love knows no bounds. So again, I'm gonna ask this question that I started with. 
We understand the love of God. But have you experienced it? When you look with the Holy Spirit into the recesses of your heart, can you say, God, I trust you. I know you love me. And here's the beautiful thing about God. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. He's not here beating us over the head saying, you guys gotta get your stuff together. No, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. He's waiting, guys. He's waiting. Can you imagine the joy that the parents would feel if and when Brittany said, I get it. You love me. You're not going anywhere. Jesus wants that from you and from me, to look to Jesus and say, I get it. You love me. You're not going anywhere. Only then will the things of this world go strangely dim. Only then can we experience true freedom. Let's pray. God, you are a God who saves. You are a God who loves. You are a God who redeems. So Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. You would, I God, I pray that you would open our eyes. That we would see you. God, I ask that you would give us courage to have faith. Courage to risk it all. Courage enough to be honest with ourselves where we don't have faith where we're still, we're still spinning our wheels, worrying, trying to get everything in order, playing God. Father, forgive us and give us new life. Allow us to get rid of the things of this world and seek you first. God, we trust you, and where we don't trust you, give us trust. Lord, we cry out like the man in Mark 9, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. God, if there is anybody in this room right now who feels like they have one hand open, ready to receive your love, full abandon, but they have one hand closed, God, I pray that you would lovingly and gently just pry that hand open. Give us a picture of what it means to live for you fully and completely. And God, don't let us be content with where we are. Make us a people hungry, seeking, yearning, looking. Jesus, we know that you're here. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here. And so we ask that you would do the work in our hearts and that we would come along, you would come alongside us, you would partner with us, you would overtake us, you would overwhelm us, that we would know your love that surpasses knowledge. We pray all this in your son's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Gospel.